Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pause Reviews Podcast. The podcast where Tim and I watch all kinds of stuff to help you find something awesome to watch tonight. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by the aforementioned Tim. Yeah. 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 Back in the saddle. Back in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So we're back uh, with another deep dive episode. Last week was our first week trying out the new monthly format where every other week is a deep dive episode as a podcast episode. And the off weeks are live show episodes mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Instagram. So yep. uh, so last week was our first rewind episode as a live show. And and it was fun. I mean, we had some yeah. stumbling at the beginning, but it was a good time. <laughs> and I think uh, I think that will. So if you haven't seen it, you can go to Instagram Live for the moment. That's the only place it is. Uh, we're gonna yep. sort out getting them all on YouTube and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Hopefully, by the next rewind, it won't be an issue. But for now, if you go to Instagram at Pause Reviews, you can check out our rewind episode where we talked about Bly Manor, Cruella, Disney's Cruella, and a couple other things that we were watching and, and chatting about Shits Creek, things like that. Yep. Yep. Um in the meantime, this will be one of, if not the last deep dive episode that doesn't relate to the shift we're making mm-hmm. for the deep dives, which is, and we kind of teased this in the live episode. So for those of you who didn't see that, um, we're gonna be shifting our deep dive episodes to focus on the films that have been inducted into the Library of Congress's National Film Registry. Yep. So we talked a little bit about this before. Every year, the Library of Congress inducts 25 films into their National Film Registry. And these are films that, uh, you know, they want to make sure are preserved, right? The history of the movies and, and the themes that they explore. And they all relate to the human condition, but primarily the American experience. These are American mm-hmm. films and and that speak to the American experience. So we're going to pick from the registry, but each each deep dive will tell you the year it was inducted, mm-hmm. the year it was made, all that kind of stuff. And uh, and then and we'll dive into it. But the but the hope and the idea here is that we can uh, have a little bit of a more narrow focus, mm-hmm. but also, you know, our goal has always been to spark conversation and dialogue yeah. around the movies that we talk about. And so I think it might be an interesting dynamic to kind of take a look at these films, take a look at these uh, commentaries and try to see, right? Like how, do, how, how do we feel our listeners and everyday people would enjoy these movies and would they take in these same sort of realizations and and i think that could be a fun experience plus Alyssa has ties to the library of congress so the hope is Mm -hmm. that we can get some folks on here to talk about some of this and break things down uh that would make some for some really fun guests on our show yeah and i and i like the idea that you know we have this whole litany of things to choose from and and we can kind of maybe tailor it a little bit to you know, what we're feeling and, and, you know, the holiday season, we're not going to do, you know, make Frank watch 30 days worth of horror movies again, but like, you know, we can, living nightmare. we can pick something in October that maybe fits that vibe, you know, something Absolutely. in December that, that, that kind of fits into that vibe. You know, there, I'm sure there's some holiday classics on that list. Somewhere. Good news for you, buddy. Um, I believe Ghostbusters is in uh, the registry. Yep. Yep. So we get to, we get to throw that out there and, and talk about a movie that's actually sort of about nothing at its core. Um, <laughs> so, uh, our goal but, too will always be to prioritize and discuss movies that 
are available for streaming. Yeah. Our, it, our hope is always to keep as much of our content free to view for you guys, or at least free in the sense that it's already included in the stuff that you're paying for. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but anyways, yeah, it's it'll be a slight shift in focus, but it should still feel very much paused reviews. And ultimately, I feel like this week's episode of Joker sort of puts a nice little bookend on this first sort of chapter and a half of this, because... Hmm. This is the last movie that I saw in theaters, and we saw it together in that movie theaters. That is a theaters. fact, yes. Uh, and I haven't seen it since then, and I know since we started this a year and a half ago, it's been just sort of sitting there on like a side burner, simmering and bubbling, and we just kept never pulling it to the forefront. But I think... Probably uh, part of it being it was like... Do I really want to go to that place again? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now. It's yeah. it's such a good movie, but a hard watch. Yeah, it's funny. I think uh right before this, the second to last movie I saw in theaters was the Tom Hanks uh Mr. Rogers movie. <laughs> oh. And I have never walked out of a theater feeling completely different than I did with these two movies. <laughs> like That is true. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, if I didn't end up, you know, committed to Arkham after that kind of brain gymnastics, I don't know what how you could end up there. So I'm proud of you, Tim. That's a solid. That's a solid reference. That's a solid yeah. Batman pull from a guy from from the uninitiated. Yes. Right? Yes. I think I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yes. Without further ado, uh, this week we are talking about Joker. Todd Phillips' Joker from 2019. Um, before we jump in, uh, as always, word of warning, spoiler alert. Right. We're gonna be talking about stuff in this movie that if you haven't seen it yet and you don't dig spoilers. Hit pause now. Go check it out. You can see yep. it on HBO Max. So go check out the movie. Come back and listen to the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we there's so much to get into. Yeah, so much to yep. talk about on this one. We are not going to be able to touch on everything. This mm-hmm. is one of those fantastic movies that you could you could spend two full episodes on trivia background. All kinds of stuff. So, that being said, we're going to touch base on some of the things that we've deemed are, you know, the the more key elements here, or at least that spoke to us more. Um, Mm -hmm. Joker, as I said, from 2019, uh, available on HBO Max, rated R, Rotten Tomatoes score, so now we're just kind of running through our our normal notes here, Rotten Tomatoes score, 68% critic score. 68% 68% with an 88% audience rating. And we'll talk a little bit about the critical uh, sort of reaction to this movie yeah. later in the episode because I feel like the main criticism against the violence of this movie really played a heavy hand into the critic score. Not yeah. entirely, but a heavy hand. I really honestly... If you were to give me those two numbers, I would have I would have said it the other way around. If you said, hey, here's the two scores, 68%, 88%, guess which one is which. Mm-hmm. I would have said audience score was 68. Because yeah. I don't know. 
and looking at what the budget numbers and the gross, which I, you'll hit in a second, I, 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 I wouldn't have expected that. I, I just, I don't. I think this movie is heavy. I think this movie is heavy. I think it's a lot. I don't. I know you don't leave the theater feeling good about anything of what you wish watched or the state of the world just questioning Um, your own existence yeah and and you know the 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 failings of mental health and society on this on this person it's not a far leap you know like this Mm. this is gotham city but it in name only it could be new york right it could be you know chicago or philly or whatever like this is not as far removed as other superhero universe movies, right? And which was very intentional, right? Yes. The, and and yeah. one of the best quotes I read was from Todd Phillips, where he talks about the tone and the look and the feel of this movie, and he says the goal in making this movie was not to bring Joaquin Phoenix into the comic book universe, but instead yeah. to bring comic books into the Joaquin Phoenix universe. And that yeah. is to say to really uh, ground it might be a strong word when you're talking about Joaquin Phoenix, <laughs> but but the idea is to really ground this in the real world and make this a, a, a major character study uh, yeah. first and, and, a, and a comic book movie second. It is... It is so easy to get lost in this film and lose sight of the fact that this is a fictional world with a Mm -hmm. fictional character because Mm -hmm. so much of what we see play out on screen feels so real and relatable, right? It is all foundational things that we can relate to. And again, that that was another goal of this film, which was it's so, especially with villains, right? It yep. is so easy to feel very detached from those characters because mm-hmm. you look at them and say, okay, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not them. I'm not a yep. this. I'm not them. I don't, you know, steal a bunch of dogs for no reason. I'm not them. Right. Yeah. And yep. so speaking, a throwback to our conversation <laughs> on Cruella, but this movie does what it can to say, this person is not as far removed from you as you would like to think. Right. Right. Um, The big question that we will try to touch on later on is, does it do enough? Right. Which, like I said, some of this critical response is, does it do enough to not glorify an arch villain's approach to Mm -hmm. the struggles of the world? Right. Um, Yeah. So, so anyways, to to not tease too much too soon, back to some of these other points. Yeah. Uh, directed by Todd Phillips. Before this, right? Todd Phillips, maybe a name you recognize. You certainly mm-hmm. recognize his IMDb page. Yep. Um, as a director, Todd Phillips had done Road Trip, Old School, Starsky and Hutch, <laughs> The Hangover Trilogy, Due Date, and War Dogs. Uh, before doing this movie. So War Dogs came out. Um, that was his first foray probably into the more uh, dramatic and, you know, yeah. uh, you know, type of, although still very comedic, right? Um, and then Joker. And That's crazy. What a leap. However, also still what the, a perfect voice, right, for yeah. this character. 
Who, and I, I, I love Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> Let me just say, I love that movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's it's funny because it seems out of line, or not out of line, but it it seems random. It seems out of uh their wheelhouse. But yet, when you're telling the story of the Joker, um, having a comedic mind and someone who understands comedy, yeah. right, also understands what isn't funny. And yeah. and that is such an interesting dynamic to have at play in this film in particular, and I and it clearly it worked out beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, the writing team is Todd Phillips with uh, co-writer Scott Silver. Um, Todd Phillips prior to this had written Road Trip, Old School, Starsky and Hutch. He wrote <laughs> Borat. He ah. wrote Due Date, and he wrote Hangover Two and Three and War Dogs. Um, Scott Silver, an equally recognizable IMDb page with The Mod Squad, 8 Mile, The Fighter, and The Finest Hours, all okay. before coming on uh, with Joker. Budget. You alluded to this, right? Yeah. Budget is $55 million for this movie, right? A comic book film at $55 million is like any other movie at ten thousand dollars right like in the world where avengers movies are hundreds of millions of dollars to produce this movie is 55 million and it grosses just shy of 1.1 billion dollars worldwide and i think that's what i was getting at right i look at that 55 million dollar budget and and the words that you used before character study and that to me is is a critics dream right like that is a movie Mm. that i feel like a critic would be all over but a comic book fan is gonna go into and say like where's my epic fight scenes where is the explosions where is the car chases where is all the special effects (laughs) Right? right and that is not this movie yeah so let's let's jump into this because the next bit that we're going to talk about is sort of the the fun facts, the trivia, mm-hmm. and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And and please remember what you just said. Yeah, the difference yeah. between the character study and the big flashes and bangs. Because yep. there's an interesting little tidbit. I don't know if I if I wrote it down in the script fully, but okay. uh, there's a portion here where we're going to come back to that for sure cool. because I find this fascinating. Um, before we dive in though, as always, the IMDb synopsis. Thank you, IMDb, for providing this succinct and beautiful synopsis. <laughs> um, in Gotham City, mentally troubled comedian Arthur Fleck is disregarded and mistreated by society. He then embarks on a downward spiral of revolution and bloody crime. This path brings him face to face with his alter ego. Alter ego. <laughs> the Joker. <laughs> Eagerly brings him to face. With... Anyways, um, so so that's the, that's the bit, right? Arthur Fleck, played by Joaquin Phoenix, is a failed comedian and uh, suffers from various mental illnesses and is just sort of crapped on by the world. Uh, and all of this builds and builds until it finally boils over and the Joker is born. So... Did did you maybe this is just me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But did you find yourself worrying about Joaquin Phoenix? Oh, uh, that's all the time. Yeah. Yeah, Joaquin right. Phoenix is he is 
let's just say intense. Yes. Right? We'll just say yep. intense. Have you seen a lot of the press he does uh, when he's answering questions? One of the, you know, one of the most cringeworthy moments uh, in the press for this film, actually, with Joaquin Phoenix, which mm-hmm. actually pissed me off and made me not watch Jimmy Kimmel, like, hardly mm. ever, because this was such a dick move on his part. Um, so Joaquin Phoenix famously totally crapped on uh, Letterman when promoting, uh, I think the film was We Were Not Here. I, I don't know, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or I'm Still Here or, or whatever it is. Um, he kind of came on in character and just was the worst guest. And, mm. and you could see Letterman just fuming. And then came on later and apologized and explained what the goal was and what the thought was and that it totally backfired and he never should have mm. done whatever. So he goes on Kimmel to promote Joker. And Kimmel plays uh, a, a video, a clip, and he, and, he, and he sells it too. It's like, hey, we got a clip of the movie. And Joaquin Phoenix is like, oh, really? Like maybe he didn't think there was supposed to be one. And he's like, yeah, maybe you talk us through this. And it's a clip of Joaquin Phoenix losing it on set in character with like the dp or whatever and it cuts back to joaquin phoenix who is just like wow like that is an immensely personal thing that happened and you know we squashed it and whatever and you're just gonna play it on camera you can just sort of like i i don't know it was so awkward Right. Weird. And every time he does press and answers questions, you know, he's just very like he's just so intense. Yes. Um, anyways, so yeah, I I guess in a in a way you worry, especially right, you know, with everything with is said about Heath Ledger and, and how right. things played out for him. Um right. you know, although people close to him deny that the role is what caused it, it was just a freak mm-hmm. accident. Yeah. But um I don't know if I worry so much in this because I I get the sense that this movie, which we know was written for Joaquin Phoenix, yeah. I get the sense that this is more of, uh, you know, here's the Joker, come make him Joaquin, right? Yeah, like, yeah, you know, right, right, and, right, 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 and right. that he didn't stray you know, too, too far. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> from his, well, I mean, you know, murder and stuff aside, right? But, uh, but you know, but I felt like, you know, he understood the character yeah, and, and was fair, able to fair. bring a humanity to him when needed and then was able to bring his acting chops to to the Joker, right? Yeah. I, I think there's, there's, there's Arthur Fleck and then there's the Joker. And, yes. And I, I'm hard-pressed to think of anybody else who could have successfully pulled off both roles. I agree. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, all right, so history. Joker. Ooh, so we talked about the budget. 55 mm-hmm. million over uh a worldwide gross of almost 1.1 billion. <laughs> Joker was the first and currently still only, I believe, R-rated film to cross the billion dollar mark in the worldwide box office and it did it without ever releasing in China. The film was declared too violent and so it didn't even go to market in China. Um Okay. But without, I mean, China is what really sends a lot of these comic book movies through the roof. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and so why is this such a big feat? We've talked about it before, right? An R-rated movie has in, innately a limited audience. Mm-hmm. You must mm-hmm. be seventeen to watch it, or you know, have your parent approval, or whatever it else it yep. is. But 
you know, this isn't something that 13 and ups can just go to the movies with their pals easily, right? So yeah. you cut your viewership. We've talked about movies that have gotten our ratings and fought for the PG-13 because yep. it's so hard to make money as an R-rated movie. Right. So right. this is an R-rated comic book movie that isn't really a comic book movie and it didn't mm -hmm. go to China and you cross a billion dollars, it is a monumental feat. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. For DC, right, we know that Marvel, like on multiple occasions, has crossed the billion dollar point, but so is DC Comics, maybe not as often, but the only other three films based on DC Comic IPs that have achieved the billion dollar mark is uh, 2008's The Dark Knight, which was rated okay. PG-13, and notable, was also not released in China. Interesting. My guess would be... There's a little bit of uh, bad press for China in the Dark Knight where, mm. you know, this guy kind of flees to China and whatever. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yep. Um, the Dark Knight Rises from 2012 also crossed the billion dollar mark, but was rated PG-13 and did mm -hmm. go to China. And then 2018's Aquaman, again, rated PG-13 with okay. the China market. So... Uh, you know, just to kind of put it in context, it isn't the it isn't the only DC property to do it, but it's certainly the only R-rated movie to do it, and yes. and that's pretty awesome. Um, you talked about how you were surprised that like this is kind of right character study is like uh is just fodder for yes. critics. Mm -hmm. Um, well, the Academy didn't shun it. Yes. Do you right. want to touch on on the yeah. recognition that it got from the Academy? Yeah, and, and this this is not surprising. And again, I really, I like you said, sort of illuminates what what is this disconnect? Um, because at the Academy Awards, uh, we're nominated. Joker is nominated for the most awards in the 2019 um, award ceremony. Um, the rundown includes Best Picture, Director, Actor, Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, Costume Design, Film Editing makeup and hairstyling, original score, sound editing, and sound mixing. Yeah, for um, those of you keeping track on your fingies, that's 11 nods. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that takes it does take home two uh, for best actor and best original score. And I don't, I don't think I can argue with those. There's some really great sound cues in this movie. I, I really do appreciate a lot of the, the musical elements of this movie. So I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I mean, and then how can you argue with Joaquin Phoenix? I mean, he embodies both of the characters that he plays in this movie and does it well. Um, because you can see the moment that things switch for him and just the, the broken, defeated hurt person he is at the beginning and the triumphant rebirth he has as Joker at the end is 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 just phenomenal. Which is kind of a chilling sentence to say, right? The triumphant yeah. right? Uh -huh. It's such a weird thing to root for. Uh -huh. More on that to come. And yeah, but I completely agree with you. Joaquin Phoenix is transformative in this role. And he yep. is absolutely brilliant. Everything that you would have hoped that he would be, you know, this is especially coming off the heels of the abysmal portrayal by Jared Leto in mm. Suicide Squad. Yeah. And, uh. and it is just, you know, this is such a breath of fresh air and, and back yeah. to something uh, that we can get behind. You know, Heath Ledger brings home Best Supporting Actor uh, posthumously, mm -hmm. and, and then Joaquin Phoenix comes back, um, you know, when things seem <laughs> in the toilet. And, yeah. and just embraces this character to a, a place that, that 
earns him this award and and very much well so um Okay, so a couple of the really great touches. We talked about Todd Phillips and how deep-rooted he is in comedy writing and direction, um, but this film is also the story of a failed comedian, and and there is and also the hope to bring the story of Joker into the real world. And one way that I found that they did this really well. So, a little bit of background: my sister and I, real big into stand-up comedians. Probably my mm-hmm. sister way more than me. Um, when we were kids growing up, we watched a lot of stuff we probably shouldn't have been watching. Um, but my sister, at a very young age, fell in love with stand-up comedy. Um, I, I can wholeheartedly back her up. She is that person uh, and is not lying. You know, when, when people started getting into Dane Cook, like she had been following Dane Cook you know, for years before he broke a 30-minute special on Comedy Central. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, things like she was just really attuned to that to that uh, arena, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, uh, anyways, but that, that sort of rubbed off a bit on me. I uh, love stand-up comedy. And the film does an amazing job in the comedy club of employing cameos from real-life stand-up comedians. So yeah. uh, Gary Goldman is seen there. Sam Morrill is heard there. Um, uh, they, they make these amazing cameos at the club. Um, and both hugely successful stand-up comedians in the real world. Uh, also, yeah. comedian Chris Red, known from yeah. – he's an SNL alum, but yeah. I think from like – I don't know, four years or so, 17, he's, 21. He's, he's still on the show as Got of it. this past, uh, as of this past season, he was still on the show. And actually probably one of my, one of my favorite cast members at the moment. So sure. he cameos as the MC of the club who <laughs> yeah, introduces yeah. Arthur Fleck. So yeah. you know, yeah. a real care, real care yeah. and attention to detail there. Let's see what else. Here we go. Let's get into oh, some yeah. of the meat and potatoes before we get into the movie. How accurate is it? What is this based on? Lots of questions about that, right? Because at yeah. the heart of this is a comic book movie, mm-hmm. and this is where my nerd vibes start tingling. Yeah. Right? So, where does the history of the characters, uh, you know, of Joker's origin, where does yeah. that come from in the comic books? Yeah, and 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 I want to. As you're going through this, if you can illuminate a little bit for, again, the uninitiated, um, this movie particularly sets up, you know, this is pre-Batman. This is Bruce Wayne's a kid. Right. Uh, his parents are still alive. Yes. Um, if you can factor that into some of this history and and that that timeline to me, how 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 that plays out, I think. Well, I'll tell you this. That is a big question mark for me as well, simply because the age difference and all that. We know nothing about the Joker. We don't know his name. We don't know his age. We don't know where he's from. We don't know anything about him in the comic books, right? Interesting. Um, As we're about to touch on, there are attempts at origins and stuff like that, but there's usually a lot of care given to not, committing to any one mm. thing or another and the okay. mystery of this character is so much a part of the fun um and then, so, then i then i would argue then that this movie also does that it does I think. i'm so yeah. glad you said that okay. so All so right. to speak to the relationship in the timeline right yeah i do struggle a bit with that i mean joaquin phoenix maybe can play like early 40s right 
yeah. maybe late 30s. It's hard to tell. He's a little malnourished in this film, yeah. right? So maybe he's younger than he than he looks. Um, he's had a rough go of it. He's had a rough go of it. We see a, a very young Bruce Wayne, you know, like a, a preteen type of age. You know, maybe he's yeah. 11, 12 at, at yeah. best. Yeah. Um, so arguably 10 years away from Batman, maybe. And and so is Joker like fifty when he and Batman start going at it? Yeah, right. Ah, that's a bit of a stretch for me. Um, I think the thing in terms of that to come away with here is that this isn't really a movie that leads us to Joker versus Batman. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is this is the movie is Joker. Um, yeah. You know, the the nods to this being in that same world, I think, are just an effort. As much as this film tries to ground the themes in the real world, uh, the, the mentions of the Waynes, the mentions of Gotham City, when this movie starts to feel too real, I think are intended to try to bring the viewer back to the, the reality within the reality mm-hmm. that is to say, this is not a real world, right? Got it. So uh, that's just my, my two cents. Yeah, okay. it makes sense. In terms of the comic books and the origins of the Joker, uh, so the first time that we get like a real origin story for Joker is in 1951. It was Detective Comics number 168, The Man Behind the Red Hood. Um, this is a wild, a wild story in that <laughs> Batman and Robin are hired to teach a class on criminology at like Gotham University or something. I, I don't know, okay. right? And and in doing so, they're, they're teaching this class and then Batman deems that his students are worthy. And so he, he brings them in and tells them about an actual case he's working, right? Okay. And the case is uh, the Red Hood, who is, you know, up to all these antics. And when they find the Red Hood... It's actually like, it's kind of like this Scooby-Doo moment. They unmask the Red Hood and it's like the janitor or something or the gardener <laughs> from the school. Like, oh, I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling crusaders. Um, but it turns out he has the real Red Hood locked up and he's perpetrating these crimes because the Red Hood hasn't been active in forever. And so okay. he's now perpetrating these crimes to try to get away with it by blaming it on this inactive criminal and come to find out the inactive criminal is the Joker. Um, Ah. In the course of this unmasking, what is revealed is that, uh, you know, back when the Joker who was in, who was this unnamed lab worker at a chemical plant uh, becomes the red hood to begin a life of crime by by attempting to rob the uh, Monarch playing card company, which is directly next to the, the chemical lab he works at. Uh, he's confronted by Batman. He jumps into a vat of chemical waste to escape. He survives, but is disfigured and then devotes his entire life to defeating Batman in vengeance. Right? So that is the first time we get, uh, the, a notion of an origin story. Now, what is commonly thought to be the definitive Joker origin is in 1988, uh, it was a uh, standalone graphic novel called uh, The Killing Joke, written by Alan Moore. And yes. The Killing Joke takes this exact same premise and just expands on it. Again, unnamed engineer at a chemical plant, he leaves his job to become a stand-up comedian. He's married, 
The wife is uh, expecting a child. Times are tough, and he's failing as a comic. So he uh, gets kind of lured into helping a couple of criminals work their way through his old job to the monarch plant next door, right, via the chemical plant in order for them to rob this bank so he can kind of make some cash and help his, his wife and an unborn kid. Um, in the planning of this heist, the wife and kid die in like a tragic house yeah. fire or whatever. And, and so he doesn't need this anymore, but there's no backing out now. Uh, he's drawn in, he falls into the vat, he survives. So now the whole premise of the killing joke is one bad day, right? results can result in some pretty crazy things and so for him the loss of his wife unborn child his disfigurement drives him mad and he becomes the joker that we know um you know what's also happening in this story in the present day this is all through flashbacks in the present day uh joker attacks barbara gordon paralyzes her uh mutilates her and kidnaps uh commissioner gordon Shows mm-hmm. him all these things to try to illustrate the truth. He's trying to break Gordon, yes. right? And 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 the whole thing being that you know to prove his point, as 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 is true with Batman, right? One bad day results in Batman becoming Batman. One bad day mm-hmm. results in Joker becoming Joker. They are not as far apart as they like to think, and mm-hmm. and and the proof in the pudding is going to be that Gordon is going to also fall prey to this fate. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't, right? Yeah. Even in light of all of these horrible things happening to him this day, uh, he holds his own. He wants him prosecuted by the book. Uh, not all people can be broken. Right. And so that is the sort of foundation of what we find being depicted in this movie here. Yeah, I, I, that's really fascinating. And as you're reading this, I do remember, we. I think I did watch that that movie um, mm. that all sounds very familiar, um, and yeah, that that does. I think this this point here that you you kind of tie out here um, about you know again not being a true origin story because there's admittance at the end that this is the best or, part. Yeah, that it may or may not have happened, and then that's also carried through in the Dark Knight. That's all carried throughout this movie in a really clever way to the point that like you and I were discussing beforehand, like. I, there are parts of this movie beyond what what is confirmed that I'm not sure actually happen, and that is a brilliant way to do these you know quasi origin stories because you they're, they're infinite right if you keep some of the details the same or in line you can twist these any other way yeah what is what is what is the true one and so does it matter. I'm so, I'm so glad that you brought that up because yep that absolutely my next point. So in the killing joke, the way it ends, we hear this whole origin story. And yeah. the best line, my absolute everyone's favorite line from this book is uh Joker looks at Batman and he says, "You know, but sometimes he he tells this flashback story and he goes, "Sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes another. If I have to have a past, I prefer it be multiple choice." And so you've read this whole story. If you see the animated film, you watch the whole film. And in the end, you don't know if it's even really true. This is mirrored, as you said, in The Dark Knight, where every time Heath Ledger's Joker tells the story of how he got his scars, it's a different story, right? It's It's the mother's boyfriend. It's the wife. It's the this. It's the that. So 
you know, no, nothing he says can be taken as truth because yeah. it is all, it, it could, it, it's just, it's nothingness. He is yep. nothingness, right? Yep. Um, okay. What else? Uh, Arthur Fleck is, is his name in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Joker, again, a similar history with names, right? There's nothing concrete. As I said, in the definitive origin stories, he has no name. Dark mm-hmm. Knight, obviously, he has no name. Um, he has been given a name at some points, right? 1989, he's given the name Jack Napier by uh, Tim Burton. This is mirrored in the comic book uh, White Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he takes that name as well. Um, there's other comics. Don't hold me to them. I'm just not as as versed in these older ones. Um, but there's comics where he's depicted as a gangster named Jack or Sonny and things like that. But again, nothing definitive, nothing concrete, and they always change it and make you think that, you know, everything you know you don't know, right? Sure. So the whole point here being that um, <laughs> every, like, there's just, there's no truth to this character. And, and that is an interesting thing, as you said, to keep in mind as you watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. A few last little fun facts. How did Leo DiCaprio almost play him? So there was a rumor going around that Leonardo DiCaprio was gonna was being eyeballed to play, uh, to play Joker. Part of this mm. is that Martin Scorsese was originally gonna be brought on as an executive producer. He doesn't yes. end up doing it, but the idea is, uh, can we use Scorsese's ties to Leo to get him into this movie now? Todd Phillips has always held fast that this film is written for Joaquin Phoenix. He never envisioned yeah. anybody else. He never wanted anybody else. But the studio does everything in their power to keep Todd Phillips from making this movie, right? Mm. And a lot of that has to do for a lot of reasons. This movie had a lot of bad press from Jump because Jared Leto was so pissed off that it was even oh. happening. There were rumors that he was trying to have it tanked from mm. Jump because it just totally ignored his portrayal of Joker in Suicide Squad. Good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's wipe that from our memories. Um, on top of that, there, you know, Justice League came out in the course of the development of this film to just abysmal reviews. Um, you know, so so DC was just and Warner Brothers were just really struggling and wasn't sure what they wanted to do and weren't sure about the immensely dark tone of this movie. Yeah, for sure. And so the ways that they tried to sort of inject their influence to get Todd Phillips to just quit and they could just abandon the project, abandon the project, is they were really pushing to get Leo. Todd mm-hmm. Phillips held fast. They gave him a budget of fifty-five million, as we talked about, right? In a in a market where superhero movies are getting whatever they want yeah right so they they really shoestring his budget now it was always the intention to make a low budget character piece but but still right you know to to kind of pull a film together for that amount of money um it's a big ask but the movie gets uh movie gets made obviously and uh and now warner brothers couldn't be happier because they come out way on top uh at no thanks to them Let's see. Okay. That's about like that's a good amount, right? Yeah. I think we've I think we've uh shown that, you know, this new format allows for a whole lot more research. Right. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Let's jump into the movie. Um yep. overall thought. Tim, go. Yeah. Um 
so I loved I loved this movie when we first saw it. Um, you know, I think yeah. you and I had some conversations back and forth. Um, you know, you had said to Alyssa, hey, I'm thinking about inviting Tim. We're going to go see this movie. And she was like, well, how do you know? Maybe like Batman Joker's not his thing. And uh, admittedly, again, uninitiated, it's, it's not. But this is also not that movie you, you understand what, you know what i mean yeah, it's like, not your daddy's superhero movie no it's and, and, and it's not as evidenced by the, the 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 worldwide gross i don't think you have to know anything to go see this movie i mean do you appreciate some of the, the you know the, the the interactions that um that joker slash arthur has with um with thomas wayne um, do you appreciate the little scene that he has with uh, Bruce Wayne at the gates of Wayne Manor uh, more as a, as a Batman fan? Sure, probably. I, you know that, that that tickles your your Batman fancy a little bit. But I don't think you need to know anything about this. This yeah. like this is this is a movie in and of itself. And if you've never seen anything else, and if they never make another movie in this this you know a sequel to this movie. It's fine. It doesn't need to. This movie exists on its own. It stands on its own legs, and you don't need to know or see anything else to go see this movie. And it is so gritty and so real world that it's so plausible, and that's just adds to the the, the gut punch <laughs> that is everything that happens. And it's just, it's hard to walk out of this movie feeling good, but it is really a good movie. Yeah, no, I think I think that's spot on, and and you're right. I don't think you need to know a lot about Batman or or anything else to really come in and enjoy this because it is such a strong character study. I mm-hmm. think that mm-hmm. you know it, it's part of why I I did want to get your take. That's why mm-hmm. we kind of went and did this so many years back, and yep. and it's a film that really sits with you. Um, yeah, there's so much to this beyond. The desire to see, uh, to see where this character comes from. Yeah. Um. You know, a couple of thoughts that I wanted us to touch on. You know, first and foremost, you can't escape it. It's right there in front of you, and it's kind of brilliantly done in a way. Although certainly arguments can be made to to the to the contrary that the depiction of mental illness in this movie is is pretty it's powerful. Um, You know, I think the, the argument to the contrary being that it ends up in such a horrible place, right? There is not a conquering of it, but instead it, it births this awful murderer. But Mm -hmm. you know, it's, this film has been praised by healthcare workers and psychologists and, 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 and the like for its accurate portrayal of mental illness. Uh, but as well as the psychological profile of a murderer. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't sit there and say. I, I would imagine you know there is for every success story for everybody that learns to cope and properly medicate and get the proper support and overcome their mental illness. There is just as many stories that end up in a vein adjacent to this, mm, and, that's and you know. 
I, it just, it has to, right? There's just, it's, you can't save everybody, right? Some people don't want help. Some people get help and are disillusioned by the help. So there are elements in this that, that I have experienced in my own life with, with, friends and loved ones you know this you know he stops taking his medication and he's like i can feel i feel like myself again i can think freely and people do that people experiment they get tired of taking their medication and tired of talking to a doctor and and they make their own choices and and sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't and again i think for every time that somebody can can cope and beat it there are just as many times where it doesn't work out so one of the things it was really jarring for me, especially on the second watch and, and for anyone who's listened to the podcast, you know, that, you know, I have my own struggles with, mm-hmm. you know, mental health and that kind of stuff. But, um, it was such a powerful moment when we get a glimpse into Arthur Fleck's little journal yeah. and, and there's a part that he says, the worst part of having a mental illness is people expect you to behave as if you don't. I think this is such a telling line in this film for multiple reasons. Number one, mm-hmm. I think anybody who struggles with mental health can absolutely relate to a statement like this. Yes. I think the other thing that this this line, in the double duty that it pulls, this, uh, this line also brilliantly sets us up for the, as you put it, the rebirth. And, and we see Arthur <laughs> become the Joker because for the first time in that moment, right, when he puts the makeup on, the suit on, and you see him walking out with that confidence, he gets in the elevator, and he just, he's a different person, yeah. right, than the Arthur we've been watching for an hour and 45 minutes. In the last 15 minutes of Joker, it is a different different person and that is right the worst part is people expect you to behave as if you don't he just he embraces who he is you said he stops the medicine he does all these things and unfortunately what he is is an absolute monster um but you know this movie just again it pays so much care and attention to everything that's in it and and it's 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 pretty amazing to to watch um let's see here the laughing disorder Wow, this was wild. So, uh, again, such careful treatment to why the Joker is how he is. This maniacal laugh of his and et cetera. It it comes from a real and grounded place. So, in the film, Arthur Fleck, we see him. He just laughs randomly, tears up, all this kind of stuff. And, And when people call him out and he's laughing in these inappropriate situations, he has this little card. Right. Where he's just like he hands it to someone because he can't speak. He's just Mm -hmm. cackling. And uh, and the card reads that, you know, please forgive him. He has a medical condition, which means that sometimes he reacts this way, even though it doesn't necessarily reflect how the other person feels. Right. And so uh, looking that up, is that based in truth? And it is. Uh, Mm -hmm. There is a laughing disorder known as the pseudo-bulber, the, pseudo, the pseudo-bulber effect, or PBA. And I looked it up on Mayo Clinic. So according to Mayo Clinic, it is a condition that is characterized by episodes of sudden, uncontrollable, and inappropriate laughing or crying, and typically occurs in people with certain neurological conditions or injuries, which might affect the way the, ba- the brain controls emotion. One would experience emotions normally, but sometimes expresses them in an exaggerated or inappropriate way, 
and it is embarrassing and disruptive to normal life. Yeah. This is totally in line with what we see in Arthur Fleck. Uh, We come to find out that his character as a child was abused uh, Mm -hmm. sexually, physically, but also like... You know, like I said, physically abused, and yep. and I guess was beat pretty bad by his adopted mother's boyfriend, and he suffered yep. a brain trauma. Um, yeah. He learns these things as the movie goes on, and so again, totally grounded in the real world. This is a real medical condition, mm-hmm. but yet so critical to the establishment of the character that we all know as the Joker. Yeah, yeah I mean it. it- it is the times that he has these fits of, you know, this, you know, seems to be triggered in his case by situations that are, are that make him nervous, uncomfortable, uh, or like, uh, uncomfortable yeah. anxiety. It is painful because he's, you know, choking and gasping on this laughter and, and, you know, trying to compose himself. But add on top of that, his normal, just everything is hilarious laugh is equally unnerving, right? So I, I don't know if that is also attributed to the damage in this, but like when he finds something genuinely funny, his laugh is equally, if not scarier, than what is brought on. But those moments, I feel the suffocation, you know, the feel, yeah. the lack of air that he is getting, and it just, it physically causes a reaction in my body when he is dealing with these situations. Because the anxiety or the panic that is bringing on this this spasm right this this effect is then is exacerbated by the anxiety that i'm feeling right so i imagine it's being exacerbated by the anxiety he's feeling now about the way people around him are reacting right so it's like Mm. doubling up on itself like i'm sorry it's not what i'm trying to do and trying to get those words out and communicate to people like it's just such a vicious cycle to put yourself in right you know i think it's like if somebody who suffers from like major like tourette's or something like that right you know you have something that sets off your tick but then it can just get worse it snowballs out from there because then you're trying then you're embarrassed or you're trying to 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 can communicate with people of why this is happening to you and you can't. Right. So, and I think too, what, what we know about the character, right in the books and animated series, films, whatever Joker can employ like a laughing gas. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's depicted in comics and in, and in, you know, other media uh, where we see the Joker, where he'll deploy this laughing gas. People can laugh uncontrollably. It's uncomfortable, painful. Uh, it also kills. They'll die of laughter. Their faces get stuck in this rigor mortis grin and all these kinds of things. It's pretty horrific. But it's yeah. interesting seeing this origin where, for him, the act of laughing is so uncomfortable and sometimes painful. You mentioned when you see him gasping for this air, you yeah. know, and, and it, it makes sense, right? For those of us who are a little more familiarity with the character, you would get a little bonus little nugget of to say, you know, he, it makes sense that he would want to inflict, right? Mm. The pain on others that they have inflicted on him in the sense of not only the, you know, of just the non care, of yeah. of how this affects him and how painful it is for him, but on top of that, also painful emotionally in, in how embarrassing and and troubling that it is for him. Um, and so, you know, we see so much of this movie uh, kind of points to, you know, 
how much of him and a large part of him is is just who he is yeah but then a portion of him is created right by and, the environment and, I, and the people around him and i feel like you juxtapose that with you know the thing that he's always saying throughout this movie that oh my mom says i was put on this earth to bring joy and laughter to mm. others and laughter is what causes him so much pain right oh that's interesting yeah and it, it's how does that conflict with you know like i'm supposed to i'm supposed to bring this out in other people as a form of enjoyment and yet to me it's torture yes oh this oh gosh this movie's so good what's and what's brilliant is start to finish i would say from the start of this movie until you know i don't know a while in Mm -hmm. there isn't a lot that happens we simply yeah. witness this man go through his day to day and we see his struggle and we see the way that the world treats him. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, like you said before, this is not action packed. This is not big scene after big scene, but yet you can still sit and, and each scene tells so much yeah. about the character, the goal of this film, the themes in this film. And so you can really sit and dissect <laughs> so much of it. Yes. You know, without a whole lot happening on screen. Um, another thing that is shown in this character, and that plays a, a huge role yeah. in the film's structure and, and narrative itself, are the hallucinations that he has. Yes. Right? In, on one hand, it's one part crazy, right? Like he, yep. it, it is, a, it is a, a side effect of his, of his conditions, right? And his mental and- struggles. And also, uh, as we come to find out, hereditary. Oh, well, right. no, well, not well, hereditary. yet, <laughs> right? Yeah, but it runs in his. Ah, well, but the argument could also be though. But while it's not biological, nature he, versus nurture kind of situation, it's the environment he was created, yeah. like raised in. But yeah. you know, because a lot of people have mentioned that, and 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 kind of pointed to uh, the household, and honestly, some of the health professionals who spoke and praised this film and spoke to the fact of like you know sometimes you know that these mental health conditions can be exasperated not necessarily created right Mm. because Mm -hmm. they are genetic right you are born this way but i can speak for my own walk right i mean i went through 20 odd years of an anxiety free life and then boom suddenly it's hitting me and and i can look back on my life and see the times where it was sort of sitting below the surface but for one reason or another it just wasn't as bad as it was yeah but then my life my surroundings events in my life have triggered it to come much more to the forefront and and that can certainly be the case here arthur fleck in another household very well may have been able to keep much of his conditions at bay or at least more better managed and cared for but in the conditions he grew up in they are turned absolutely if loose he if he was born into or adopted by the wayne family does he not get better medical treatment and access to right he's support? not reliant on a failing gotham yeah. you know like yep. a social work system Yep. Absolutely. So back to the hallucinations, uh, obviously a manifestation of his of his own mental illness, but at the same time too a visible a visible representation of how the Joker recalls the truth of his own past and origin, as we said mm-hmm. before, you know, as multiple choice. Yeah. Yep. 
So this is really depicted and seen through his relationship with Sophie Dumont, played by Zazie Beetz. Um, And there is, it's this amazing sequence of events. Here's the thing. We see from early on, right? We see that he goes into these escapist moments where he envisions himself. The first time we see it is when he sits down with his mom to watch the Murray Franklin show. And he dissolves into this daydream of him being in the audience and Murray calling him down and him embracing Murray as a father figure. Yes. So then we're introduced to Sophie's character, again, played by Zazie Beetz, in an elevator scene where he's riding the elevator and Sophie is with her daughter riding Mm -hmm. up as well. And you see the daughter kind of yapping and yammering. And and Sophie does the you know the gun to the head gesture, mm-hmm. and and Arthur, uh, you know, just observes it, and then super awkwardly they live on the same floor, as she's walking, going about her business, calls her back, calls her attention back, and does it back to her like super exaggerated, yep. And you kind of see in her face like what the heck, you know, yeah. like it's yep. super creepy, but then. It seems almost naturally that they do spark up a conversation and they spark up a relationship and and we see that relationship grow and and all these kinds of moments and yep, things. She comes to he um, he invites her to to comedy club. He, right. She comes out to see him. Um, you know, he stumbles at first, but then he gets in his groove and he's getting the laughs and she's laughing. You know, at, at the show and he's encouraged by her presence there. She's um, with him as he's yeah. dealing with his mother, being in the mm-hmm. hospital and all kinds yep. of things. Uh, he goes to their apartment and they, you know, seemingly have sex or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And, yep. you know, there, there's a lot of scenes all to come to find out. There's a moment where he comes in and he goes to her apartment and sits down seeking comfort after, yep. you know, he had just killed, <laughs> killed his mother. And, yep. uh, and she walks out. And is shocked. There's someone in her apartment, someone she doesn't know. And we come to find out none of what we saw is what really happened. None of it. And and now when you know it and you look back, it's pretty clear. There's a, you yes. know, we go from that random scene in the elevator to where uh, so suddenly Sophie, he follows her. He follows her one day to work. And yep. then she comes to his apartment and confronts him and is like, did you follow me? Blah, blah, blah. And whatever the explanation is, and she just goes, oh, Arthur, you're so funny. And he's so smooth, right? He's like, he's like. He doesn't stutter. He doesn't do, he's the joker in that moment. Yes, in all of these moments, in, you know, when when Murray calls him down on stage, in this scene, um, I think this is the one, I think this is the scene I'm thinking of, uh, it might have been a previous one, um, but uh, yeah, the way she's like, were you, were you, was that you following me today? And he's like, uh, yeah, I was. And she's like, well, I thought for a second you were going to come in and rob the place. And he's like, I got a gun. Like, you yeah, know, I can so, always do that tomorrow. Yeah, I do. I'll come by tomorrow. Yeah, it's so, it's slick. It's witty. It's charming. Yeah. And when she walks away, I forget what the last thing she says. And he's like, all right. You know, kind of like, yeah, baby. Like, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'll see you later. And yeah, he's so calm and everything he says makes sense in this. But when we've seen him in other times, he doesn't have the right comebacks, right? Or his comebacks are clunky. Like or the kid on the bus. Sense. The kid on the bus, um, 
the the scene where he goes to his job and gets let go and he kind of punches out the clock we start to see the joker kind of come through but you know he doesn't have retorts or you know when he tries to jump in on the teasing of other coworkers it doesn't make sense and you know we we we're told that that he creeps out his coworkers right he's not right. the smooth and debonair person but you see it in all these times that 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 he's with his neighbor it's so true you're absolutely right and it is you know you and i talked a little bit offline too about how about that difference right yeah and how when he's joker versus when he's not and and these are these manif- these hallucinations yeah. show the inward Joker trying to come out who is confident and mm-hmm. accepting of who he is and and unapologetic unapologetic and yep. uh, versus the Arthur who is suppressing this monster inside yeah. and and when when faced with a simple thing where he's just playing with a kid and the mom's like can you leave my kid alone He's like, I'm not messed, and then just starts laughing maniacally. He can't even yep. defend himself. Yeah. But then is yep. smooth in these moments. It's so you're absolutely right. It's so telling. Um, yeah, and it just it, it exacerbates when that bomb drops. You're like, of course. How did I not see this? And watching it again, it is just an artistry in there that they pull that over on you so well when it's so. <laughs> so before we tap into the final thing i want to chat about which is the criticism about this i want to pose a question to you so arthur becomes joker he goes he's invited to the arthur murray or the the arthur murray (laughs) the dance studio uh he's invited to the murray franklin show uh which is just a late night talk show uh murray franklin got a hold of him bombing at the comedy club and put it up there teased him got a huge response so he invites him out onto the show which is the real version of what we see we see a real version of what happened to him in the comedy club versus the pseudo version that happened in his head right when when sophie goes and and he does fairly well and it's all well and good what really happened was she wasn't there and he totally tanked yeah and and so uh he goes on the show he gets and and so we see the full transformation right we don't want to spoil everything but he's finally he's caved and he is joker and he goes to the murray franklin show and afterwards is arrested now, I believe all of that happens as we see it because there is some awkwardness. He isn't fully confident, right? He, yeah. He gets a little flustered. He he gets a little, you know, defensive and held back. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, in the end, he he feeds the beast, right? Yeah. And, and in doing so, so he, he gets arrested. And then there's this final scene. And, and this kind of leads us into the final point I want to talk about about this criticism. But... We see throngs of Joker supporters in masks, in mass, right? Mm-hmm. Coming in support of him. They rescue him from this cop car. And and what it appears is that although he has just done these horrific acts, right? All uh-huh. these people are in full support. And, I mean, we're talking like thousands of people. Yeah. And And my question for you is did that happen Mm. right Mm -hmm. so i can't help 
using what we've just been talking about, I can't help but throw out a theory there. And I'm sure I'm not alone. If you really look out into the internet, it's probably there already. Yep. But I think he goes on the Murray Franklin show. He does what he does. He gets arrested. But then suddenly we see him again, wholly confident and, yep. and doing his little dance thing in the whole nine, right? Yep. Yep. How much of that is real? And how much of that is a figment of his own imagination as we cut immediately from that to him in an Arkham Asylum, in the white suit, in the whole nine, talking yep. with a, a counselor of some kind? Yeah, I mean, I take it back even a little bit. I'm I'm not 100% sure that the Murray Franklin show plays out exactly that way. I think I lean towards that it does more that now that you and I have talked about it. Um but that's the whole point, right? We don't know, you know, as much we've seen all of this before. Like I said, the comedy club, he goes out there, he tries to tell that first joke about, you know, when I was in school, I hated school and, you know, and he just can't get it out. He laughs and he laughs and he laughs, but then we see him get it out. But then when Murray plays the real clip, the next joke that he tells is, you know, uh, when I was little and I'd tell people I want to be a comedian, they would laugh at me and no one's laughing now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, that's not what we saw in his reality, in his mind, right? We didn't see that until it was on the Murray show. Um, so I think that's the point. We don't know. that We don't know from these points on. And I think, you know, you can look at those scenes, you know, from the moment he becomes the Joker and he goes on the Murray show, you can, you can make an argument either way for everything that happens, right? Um. But yeah, especially that part at the end, you know, he's he's started this revolution inadvertently. Um, and up until he kills Murray, I think there's a little bit of a purity to this revolution, you know, in this in this Gotham City where people are oppressed and these people make millions of dollars working for Wayne Industries and these three jackasses are drunk on the, the subway and, you know, probably a few minutes away from, from gang raping this poor woman. Like, I don't think it's that far fetched to, to believe that that could be what was about to happen. Um, you know, you see those side of things, then he kind of does the world a favor and he says as much, right. He's like, these guys were jerks. Like, and in one of his hallucinations, um, you know, he even, he says uh, with Sophie that like, uh, she said, well, three less pricks, right, to, in the world to, to worry about. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. I mean, you cut to that Arkham scene, and he's still very much up in his head, and and then he kills the therapist that he's meeting with in Arkham. And I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and I, I think that's know. kind of my point, and in that it leads into this next part, which is that the major critical. The negative critical response had been that this film glorifies violence as the answer, right? We see someone oppressed and, and beat down by the system and by society. And in response, he kills all the people who wrong him or who represent people who wronged him and, and etc. So the overarching concern and sentiment was, is this movie going to... I mean, there was real concern that there was going to be like movie theater shootings and all this other kind yeah. of stuff. And the right. thought is, are we 
are we empowering or may are giving the sense of empowerment to people in situations like this to deal with it through violence and mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. i think where i sort of landed on it was that number number one remember this is a fictitious world number two I think the moments, and we see it, right? When he kills the three guys on the subway, he's shooken, he's shaken by it. Yes, yes. Uh, when he kills Murray, he's sort of sitting there kind of in shock of what he did. His plan, we see it in his preparations, wasn't to kill someone else. It was to kill yeah. himself. He was going to go on the show and kill yes. himself. Yeah, and I, you know, a lot of, I can't help but think back to when he got the gun too right and his co-worker says to him he's like yeah take it he's like if you don't take it you're just gonna get stepped on right and you know he's like well they were just kids he's like doesn't matter today it's just kids tomorrow you know it's somebody else and part of me is like he just he's just doing what he thinks is right or what he needs to survive at a certain point, right? When he kills those three guys on the train, they do attack him, right? And right. and at a point it's self-defense. Now when he chases the third guy out onto the platform and shoots him to death, that's when it crosses the line. And he is shaken, but I think at that point still shaken as anybody would be if you had to kill somebody in self-defense to a degree. Sure. So, and that's kind of where I'm getting, like, I see a lot of that scene in the Murray scene. Yeah. It is a, it is a, a huge shift afterwards. And yes. then we, we see him in Arkham. My, my thought is that his actions are not without consequence, mm-hmm. right? He is arrested. He is in prison. He's put into Arkham and all that stuff. And he's kind of looking back and maybe thinking, finally, everyone loves me. Right. Yeah. And maybe yep. that's not necessary. Now we do see that some people are using it as a political thing. Like I think, you know, we see him escape on a subway with a bunch of people in clown masks mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think when he does that to Murray, Murray is seen more of an innocent, right? Like yeah. it's you know, and so again, nothing definitive, but I think more than anything it spells out that nothing is necessarily as it seems. Yes. I think what this movie fails to do that the killing joke does really well and, and in a sense redeems it is that, and, and makes it more palatable. I should say not redeems it, but makes it more palatable by critics and people else watching it. There is a moment. The Joker is still the Joker. He is as mad and as insane as, as you can possibly imagine. Yeah. And in the book, he tries to also turn Gordon. Mm-hmm. And he fails to do that. So the book mm-hmm. does a really good job of illustrating that it isn't that these actions are okay. This right. person is an anomaly. Right. Most people control their urges and control their stuff and deal with things in a constructive way that is within the bounds of the societal structure, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This movie blurs that line perhaps a little too far. And so I can understand the criticism. However, I think what this movie, I think what we would lose without, or if we, if we did adhere to, to the structure laid out in a killing joke, I would argue that what we would lose is that element for, for those of us that 
that maybe don't as easily relate to all facets of the Joker. <laughs> um, I think that what we would lose is the amazing storytelling and the way that they effectively show mm-hmm. that nothing is as it seems. Yeah. Nothing can be taken as fact yes. or or canon, and yeah. and and everything is up for debate. And yeah. and in the way that. Arthur and the Joker see the world um is unique only to him. Yes. And and it's cert- and it sets up a really interesting foundation uh for what will become the character of the Joker who exists only in his own world. Yeah. And, and everybody else just passes through and and he is he is just not He's not of this plane, you know yes. what I mean? Yep. And and yep. I think that is brilliantly captured here. Yep. Yep. So I think we've touched on plenty. Yeah. With Joker, and as I said, I mean, we didn't even really get into the ins and outs of what happens beat by beat. That's not mm-hmm. that's not what we want to do. That's not the goal, right? right? You've right. seen this movie. We don't have to retell it to you. We yep. want to have conversations and discussions about what it made us feel and what we thought and, and break down certain parts. Um, we could do four episodes on this movie. I'm sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and I want to say too, I mean, uh, part of the, the, this kind of bubbled back up because of a couple comments we made in the live stream last week about, you know, Disney and doing a Cruella origin mm. story. You know, there are, you look at that and there are similar there are similar beats here, right? Similar ways that their stories play out. Um, but because of the company that Disney is versus, you know, this being a rated R movie and Joker, you know, Disney keeps it lighter and pulls some of those things and makes you feel for a character that is still at her core, just plain evil and, and, and awful. But you know, lightens it up and dances around some things um, that ultimately cause it not to fit into the broader story that that we're all looking for. Like we talked about on the live stream, the way it ends doesn't make sense for the future. You know, for for one hundred and one Dalmatians, how does that fit? It, it it doesn't seemingly fit into that. But then you look at this, and this is so dark. And because of this source material, where is this the true story or just another story? It fits perfectly into all this. And it doesn't, you know, it's not mutually exclusive to something else. It doesn't invalidate anything. It doesn't say, well, how does that work with what I know? Because we don't know anything. You know, yeah. And I think think this is such a great point. And I, I alluded to this a little bit in the Cruella one because I anticipated... A little bit of blowback, right? Like, yeah, how can right. you be so critical about the origin story of Cruella and it's a villain and, oh, we don't need yep. to know these things. I said all that stuff and I stand yep. by it. And I yep. think the main difference, and I said it then and I say it again now, Cruella suffers from who owns Cruella. Mm-hmm. If Cruella mm-hmm. ends with her being an absolute monster, devoid of <laughs> of any, you know... Uh, humanity whatsoever then then I'm all in because that makes sense right yeah the 
the difference here, I, I feel like Cruella is Joker, right? Yeah. The movie Joker, bound by the rules of Disney. Yeah. Whereas Joker yeah. doesn't have to pull the punches. Warner yeah. Brothers doesn't have to pull the punches. Yep. And we are not trying to find redemption for Joker. We mm -hmm. are simply explaining, or at least looking at one possible explanation for how this person came to exist because, yep. you know, it makes me think, you know, my father was a, was a cop for, you know, 23 years. And, mm -hmm. and one thing that used to drive him nuts is if, you know, someone evil would do something evil and I would be like, Oh, I wonder why he did that. And my dad would always be like, why? Like, it doesn't matter. Right. Yep. Because there is nothing you could say that would justify someone doing what this person did. Yeah. And, and, and I agree. And I think that it isn't about justification. It's simply about, there is a, an innate human curiosity to know how can someone who looks like me, right? Two eyes, two ears, 10 fingers, 10 toes, right? How can a human being, right? Be so, polar different yes from me how can yep. and and what caused him to to end up there and yep. and how can i avoid that i don't want to be that i don't want to end right there is a a curiosity if nothing mm -hmm. else and mm -hmm. and, and even if it's only for self-preservation how can i yes. understand how this person ended up there so i can avoid that avoid people like that avoid situations like that Avoid creating people like that. Right. And, and I think maybe that's something that, you know, was lost on him because he was so, you know, those moments, especially for, for people in those careers, can hit so hard. And, and, and it is, you know, when you see that much bad, right? Yeah. Um, and so, again, it's not a criticism of my dad, and I totally understand. But I think what this movie does well is that it doesn't try to justify. Mm -hmm. It just tries to explain the perils that would face people in this situation, given these circumstances. But then in the end, and we see a lot of that with Murray, right? Murray yeah. really fights back and pushes back to say, what you did is not okay. Right. 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 And a lot of people agree. And, and, and so again, like the film is careful, I think, to not, validate and justify joker in that sense but simply to say you know be mindful because you know the monsters are, are could be monsters we create yeah um yep but it is it is a fascinating exploration of of all these things that we've been talking about it is an incredible uh i don't even know like palette cleanser right where it's not a superhero movie but it is a no. comic book movie but it also yep. isn't that either right it is a character exploration it is a deep dive into some really deep concepts and in the end ends up just being a master class of filmmaking and and acting and storytelling that uh is is a hard thing to watch yes um, but yep but absolutely worth it um yep I don't know, man. I give it, I give Joker an eight and a half out of 10. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, uh, I love the look at it, uh, the look of it. And especially mm. after having watched Suicide Squad and just the, 
ridiculousness that is that gangster grilled version of Joker in, in Suicide Squad. It, this just feels so much more authentic and so much more real. And I love his look and, you know, this odd pseudo 70s style and this colors that he gets. Like, that just feels more more grounded to me and, and just less, I don't know. It just brings it back. Um, yeah, it's a hard watch. I don't know that I would have ever watched it again. I've wanted to for a long time, but again, this is a movie that, you know, sort of like we were saying with pig, I, you gotta be in a place, you know, this isn't something you're going to throw on on Friday night and think you're going to have a good night. This is, this is deep. Uh, this is painful. This is, you know, there's there's stuff there that can hurt you. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it's it is a whole thing. And like I said, having seen this close to seeing the Mister Rogers movie, I, just the way that I walked out of the theater for those two movies, it could not have been more different. And I, this movie is heavy, but it's it's. It's so good. Yeah, no, I, that's spot on. Yeah, he he manages to make something so not real into something very real in the sense that, you know, if I met Jared Leto's Joker on the street, I would think he was a little boy really trying to convince people that he's bad. Yeah. Whereas Joaquin Phoenix taps into something that Heath Ledger for him also really beautifully tapped which was that when you hear him and you see him and you hear him speak and the things that he says you believe his crazy and you believe that he will do it right and uh and that is it is such a welcome change of pace from the direction that dc was heading in in terms of these films yep 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 all right well Enough about that. That about wraps us up here. Uh, next week, what can you look forward to? A live show. We yeah. will be live on Instagram Live. It's really weird to shift uh, <laughs> to shift the tone of this episode from all the stuff we were just talking about to all of a sudden be like, hey, guys, come back next week and check us we're out. We're talking about fun and light things. Blah, like, blah, blah. Whatever I've been watching since then. You finished Shit's Creek? Uh, we watched the first three episodes of Only Murders in the Building. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to spend the next week just sitting in my shower crying in the fetal position, yeah. decompressing yeah. from this film. No, I'm just kidding. It really is such a good movie. Um, but yes, next week we will be on IG Live, so check us out there Thursday at 8 p.m. Um, mm-hmm. And then we'll be back here with a deep dive in two weeks. Yep. Uh you know, again, not positive yet if we'll be pulling from the registry or, or waiting another couple of weeks as we try to pull all that together um, or or if we'll be picking a title. But as I did this week, we'll be announcing our next deep dive uh, leading up to it. So you can yep. look forward to that on Instagram. Um, other than that, you know, check us out anywhere you get your podcasts. We're on the Podbean app and everywhere else. Uh, you can yep. check us out on the website. Links to everything are there. Pausereviews.com. Um, you can check us out on Instagram, as I said before, at pause reviews, and you can shoot us an email, pause reviews at gmail.com. All kinds yeah. of ways to get in touch with us. Feel free to do so in any way. 
And uh, as we said before, message us about this one. So much to talk about. If there's anything we missed, anything you're curious about, anything that we should be ashamed that we didn't touch on, uh, shoot us a message, and we'd love to touch on it. Uh, We can do a little errors in a mission section at the top of the live show. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. All right, guys. Well, until next time, as always, I'm your boy, Frank. This is Tim. We'll see you when we see you. Peace. Peace.